Hey, hey, Martin. Hey, yeah, Christina. I just have a really fast and quick and easy question for you. Yeah. Can you tell me what material your mother is made out of? <laughs> it's kind of personal. I'm sorry. It's a pretty personal question. Yeah. I, Would you say like a terry cloth or a vinyl or like a oh, sandpaper? Oh. Of those options, I would. Well, no, I actually say none of those. That that actually doesn't sound like a mother at all. Would it surprise you to hear that a leading psychologist of the 1950s claimed that there was no difference between terry cloth mothers and flesh, fleshy flesh mothers? <laughs> Well, given that we are now several episodes in, you know what? I guess it kind of wouldn't surprise me. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of They Did What to What, a virtual journal club where we talk about the psychology articles that shape the way people think about the way people think. The very old ones. The very old and gross ones, generally, it seems to be. We might be doing some more recent gross ones, but <laughs> Christina really likes the old gross ones. The older, so. the better. Also, you just like reading weird old-timey stuff. I love reading weird old-timey stuff. I love the differences <laughs> in writing style. And you could yeah. never write any articles, like the very, very old articles. They would never right. be published today. They'd never be accepted right. today. It yeah. was very much yeah. like a old, loose canon just guy <laughs> writing by himself, like one author papers, yeah. he says whatever, right. and then it gets accepted. And then that's what science is. It's, it's accepted. It's science. It's facts. It's factual. We're taught it for decades. Like what's wrong? That's perfect. That's exactly what I want to read. That's what I want to read. I want to read the inane ramblings of people from 200 years ago. That's my goal. Even though you have to do ooh, modern science, gross. I know, gross. Ew. Yeah, no, I go from writing modern science all day to reading these old-timey things, and I just like wistfully stare out the window of, oh, what could have been, if only. Speaking of old-timey science from 100 years ago. <laughs> yeah, what are we talking about today? We're talking about the Harlow monkeys. What do you remember about the Harlow yeah. monkeys? I remember terrifying images of like toilet paper tubes with big eyes glued to them <laughs> and very sad baby monkeys clinging to them uh, from like my first year uh, intro to psych class. Yeah, I feel uh, like um, the images because I'll talk about it more, but Harlow invited like uh, reporters into his laboratory and life oh, okay. magazine did an article um he published ah. in his papers pictures i feel like part right. of the reason this is so striking is the imagery is that he used right. cameras as part of his oh. communication method so that wasn't part of the his write-up that was that was publicity stuff those photos that everyone knows kind of both um he okay uh, I'll talk about it a little bit more, but the article that people cite was actually a paper given at a conference. So it was, oh, a, okay. he was the president of the APA, the um, American Psychological Association. He was the president and this article that everyone talks about and everyone refers to was a keynote lecture basically at this conference. Oh, okay. And part yeah. of it was a 20 minute video that he played showing the 
reactions, the emotional reactions of these monkeys. 20 minutes? Yeah, 20 minute break. Like, hey kids, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to watch 20 that- minutes of sad monkeys. <laughs> That sounds harrowing. Yes. <laughs> Harlowing, some might say. <laughs> also, his last name wasn't even Harlow. He, he was born Harry Israel, but one of his oh. professors, one of his mentors, this was b- around World War II, right? Sure. One of his mentors told him, hey, you don't want people thinking you're Jewish, so you have to change your name away from Israel <laughs> so you never get mistaken for a Jewish person. So he changed his name to Harlow. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember why he was doing what he was doing? Or do you remember what the hypothesis was with these monkeys? No, absolutely not. No. All <laughs> I remember is pictures of very sad baby monkeys. Sad monkeys. That's all I remember. It, it, it was something to do with the role of mothers, maybe, in making well-adjusted children? I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember. Yes. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, so Harlow, over his life, wrote... 320 articles. 320. That's way too many. It's very, very, very much too many. Too many articles. That's that's easily 300 more than I've written. (laughs) Um, But when he was nearing the end of his career, he was approached to make... There was a publishing house that was doing these books that were doing like compilations of your top stories... So I checked it out of the library, and his version is called From Learning to Love, The Selected Papers of H.F. Harlow, edited by Clara Mears Harlow, who was his student and then wife, just like all of these old-timey professor guys. Oh, my God. Um, And it opens with a (laughs) passage of her describing uh, joining his classes, and then she was very bright in his classes, so he started walking her home as he was the professor and she was a student. Um, And he started playing a weekly bridge game with her. She liked to play bridge, and he liked to play bridge So they started playing bridge together with the Richie Rich of Madison, Wisconsin. (laughs) Um, They just happened to start playing with this couple who had endowed the zoo and the university. Oh, okay. And when Harlow joined the University of Wisconsin, there was a crisis because they just tore down their animal research building so oh. Harlow was going around saying, I want to do rat work. I want to do rat work. There's nowhere for me to house no. my rats. What am I going to do? And then he was playing bridge with the Richie Rich of Madison, <laughs> Wisconsin. And they were like, oh, we endowed the zoo. Just go to the zoo and test all these monkeys, obviously. So the next day they went to the zoo and Harlow started doing uh, behavioral tests on monkeys. And that's how this all started. <laughs> It's so weird. So weird. And it's only because his wife wrote the intro to his compilation book that we have this information. Like That is ridiculous. It's quite ridiculous. He still seems better than um, Watson. Like, n- neither of them was married when this happened? No, they were not married. But, right. but okay. Harlow noted that the Gibbons were the only monogamous monkeys and also they were the stupidest monkeys (laughs) so that was his personal finding um he married clara 
And then like he, a stupid gibbon. Like a stupid gibbon. And then he divorced Clara and he married a different woman who died. Oh. And then he remarried oh. Clara again. So it was kind of like a lifelong love affair thing. So maybe they weren't monogamous. Maybe it was like 1950s non-monogamy where it wasn't sure. consensual, but yeah. it was sort of known, that sort of thing. Hey, so it's still better than Watson, I'm going to say. Better than Watson. Yeah. On our scale yeah. of Watson to like good person, he's right, right. He's right in the middle. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope we don't encounter anyone worse than Watson, actually. Me too. I mean, we will, but I also hope that. <laughs> so Harlow gets access to monkeys um, because his bridge partners... Um, his richy, rich, 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 rich bridge partners. Very, very rich bridge partners whom he's using as a way to, like, date his PhD student. Court. It's the 1950s. They're courting. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, we can't go out on a date, but what if we just play bridge? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, and so they're like, come come experiment on our monkey. Yes, so um, his student, um, Clara, was a child psychologist, and Harlow wanted to study innate behavior. Um, mm -hmm. So... Harlow was very aware of the work of Watson. If you're not familiar with Watson, go listen to the Watson episode with the fear conditioning in Little Albert that gives all the background about Watson. Um, but mm -hmm. Harlow was a very studied man. He knew all of the literature. He was very familiar with behaviorism and fear conditioning and all that sort of thing. So yeah. Harlow's background was he was dating his student, who was a child psychologist, he um, was familiar with the literature. He had access to monkeys. So putting all of those things together, like genuinely, genuinely, if you just take the equation and you put all these things together, that's how we end up with the Harlow studies. He um, wanted to study human babies, but human babies aren't mobile enough. They don't have enough motor control at very young ages. So he was like, oh, I obviously I can't study babies. They can't manipulate things. They can't lift and sure. move things. Also, human babies come with human mothers who don't let you do things to the babies. Very, very often, although again, the last two episodes would indicate sometimes that's not true. Right. You need orphans, which is exactly, you need orphans, Martin. Yes. You would need orphans. Yes. You would. So Harlow started a breeding colony of rhesus macaques in a yes. new, like very far, not off campus, but like wrong side of tracks part of campus. <laughs> like they had yes. a very, very old building. They renovated the building into this brand new monkey breeding colony. They would breed <sighs> rhesus macaques and immediately take them away from their mothers because they didn't want the mothers interfering with oh, any no. sort of development, with um, interfering oh, no. with any sort of testing, that sort of thing. And they oh, no. noticed that the monkeys, the baby, tiny, adorable baby monkeys, would cling, would desperately cling to the soft pads that were on the floor of... Oh. The, yeah, it's all very sad. The, everything is sad. You could just record <laughs> yourself saying... Oh, and you wouldn't even have to be here for the rest of this podcast. You could just like set that to go off on a regular interval. And I would be like, yeah, Martin's really paying attention. He's really got the right emotional tone for this. So he noticed the monkeys would cling 
to the soft diaper pad that they had at the bottom of the cage that they changed every day. And mm-hmm. once they took the diaper pad out of the cage, the monkey, the baby monkeys, the cute, cute, tiny baby monkeys would <laughs> cling to themselves, would scream, would throw themselves on the floor, would oh. not interact with anything until they got a pad back. And oh, that wow. is the beginning of The Nature of Love, the article that we're talking about today. So like I said, this Ooh. is a conference presentation. The title is The Nature of Love. And it was given by Harry Harlow in 1958. That, that's a good title. It is a really like good a, title, yeah. It, it's, it's enticing. And there's, there's no colon and then like no. more nonsense. Yeah, Just, he's very sure of himself. He's a very um, like yeah. witty, sure guy. I, I, I will tell you. I I very much I I like the paper title that isn't just like a description of the manipulation and effects, uh you know I like where you know the title title says it all papers like that's fine and all but like you yeah, want some I like mystery. a creative title you want intrigue I do. yeah I, I yeah the nature of love is a great title it's a wonderful title and it really I've been swinging wildly back and forth on how deep I think this is like how good of a job Harlow did on in the morning I'm like oh my god brilliant he like groundbreaking absolutely like field changing earth shattering work and then in the afternoon I'm like that's so dumb that was such a dumb thing why did he do that that was so dumb and then I think about it again and I'm like whoa like this totally went against what they were thinking at the time this went against everybody this went against behaviorism this went against Freud this went like just like oh so good and then in the after the next afternoon I'm like that was really dumb that was dumb (laughs) (laughs) once again doing way better than Watson then yeah, yeah. There's like the <laughs> inkling of like he was really thinking about things and he was really trying to assess things. So right. the intro is him talking about the state of the field and talking about how currently in psychology in 1958, psychologists claim that there are the base drives, that everything comes down to food, sex, fear, the elimination of pain. Uh, that sort of thing, those primary drives that you have to take care of those and that's the most important and that's what fuels all behavior. Okay. And Watson is like, well, what about love? What about love? Don't don't people know about love? He writes writes (laughs) this whole thing. Again, this is a conference presentation so he can be a little bit funny, a little bit playful. Sure. And he says, thoughtful men... And probably all women have speculated on the nature of love. So immediately he's calling himself a thoughtful man and saying, like, you other men, you're not thoughtful. I'm thoughtful. I'm thinking about love. You haven't thought about love. And he also says... You're saying that he's flirting with the APA. Oh, absolutely. 100%. 100 million percent. This is a flirty man who's flirting. And he said, psychologists, at least psychologists who write textbooks, not only show no interest in the origin and development of love or affection, but they seem to be unaware of its very existence. So again, he's saying, I know about love. I have love in my life. You psychology textbook writers, you are devoid of love. You don't know about love. Nobody loves you. (laughs) To a room full of people who write psychology textbooks. like So funny. <laughs> Terrific. Um, and at the time, it was thought that the role of the mother 
in child rearing was to provide food, that the connection that the child develops with uh. the mother is food based, that if a mother didn't provide food, you wouldn't have that connection, that uh. the love of a child towards the mother was because the mother fed them. So that was okay. 1958. If your mother doesn't feed you, you don't love her. If your mother right. feeds you, then you love her. Okay. All right. And then he goes into the observation with their breeding colony. And the breeding colony was established for a different purpose. It wasn't immediately established for this purpose. Um, Harlow also did like the classic lesion studies to try to figure out the cortex uh, and locations of things, that sort of thing. Right. And he needed right. a breeding colony in order to have access to a whole bunch of right. monkeys to do all this testing on. Right. Um, so he talks about that sort of background and the pads on the bottom of the cages that the baby, tiny baby monkeys clung to. And then he said that baby monkeys, they have these wire mesh cages. And if you, again, go online, go on YouTube, you can watch Harlow talking and showcasing off these cages. The cages are quite small. They have wire floors. Mm -hmm. And he said that the babies that are raised on wire mesh cage floors with nothing else in there. Yeah. That some babies just don't survive. Even though they oh. have their food, they have access to enough food, enough water, enough light, enough, like, their basic needs are being met, but they don't have any tactile right. anything. Some babies don't right. survive. Some babies I make see. it, but but they're sickly babies. And is, is he describing here just kind of like casual observations he's made? Yeah. Yep. This yeah. is still the intro of, like, right. um, this is why we set up the study in the Great. way that we okay. do. And they said that if they introduce a wire mesh cone and they cover the cone in terry cloth, then the baby becomes husky and happy and healthy. So you can completely transform a baby that's on the verge of death to a happy, healthy baby just by putting in a wire cone that has a terry cloth I rem around I it. remember this now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I have pictures. They're horrifying, horrifying I, pictures. But I, I do recall. <laughs> so his assertion is that contact comfort or the tactile comfort, the physical comfort is the most important variable in the development of an infant's affection for the mother. So it doesn't matter if the mother provides food. Right. What's important is that you can touch your mother. I see. Which again, if you remember behaviorism and if you remember Watson, Watson said, don't talk to your children, don't hug oh, your children. Right. Yeah, don't hold your children, oh. don't rock your children to sleep, don't do right. any of that because you will coddle and spoil right. your child. Yes, yes, you'll be reinforcing the wrong sorts of behaviors. That's, mm -hmm. oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So this is, uh, if not... It, 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 Revolutionary. Right. Well, and is he framing this as a direct like response to and refutation of Watson or... Yeah, he does specifically mention Watson directly at the beginning of the article. Okay. And actually, Clara, who wrote the introduction to the compilation of the selected papers, yeah. Clara again mentioned Watson specifically. Ooh, okay. And Watson's work and ideas. I see. Um, as something that Harlow was very much aware of. So this is, in fact, a direct response to the dogma of the time, which was don't spoil your child, don't give attention to your child, don't hug your child. Right, okay. And then here comes Harlow, just literally president of the American right. Psychological Association, okay. changing everything. Like, this is my idea. 
theory was that this was like actually a very controversial thing right. that 1950s scientists yelled at each other about <laughs> at the time. Yeah, okay. Okay, so here's our picture. Here's oh. the mother. Or, all right, well, <laughs> at least in this one, the, the, I, my recollection was of two things. One was of very sad baby monkeys, and the other was of these horrifying, horrifying <laughs> terry cloth covered cones. Um, with faces drawn I feel like on the, them. And yeah. in this one, it's much more the latter because this monkey doesn't look particularly like, you know, pathetic. <laughs> this is, you know, this looks like a baby monkey, like doing baby monkey stuff while a horrifying shrine to like some kind of primate demon uh, watches over him. <laughs> Do you want to describe the two mothers? In the picture, we have two mothers. Oh, the other one is supposed to be a mother. Okay. <laughs> They're both mothers, yes. These are two mothers that you're looking okay, at. Okay, yeah. So one is just a a wire, like, you know, chicken wire cylinder, it looks like. And it has a tiny bottle, like baby bottle. Yes, yes. Uh, kind of near the top of it. And above that is what looks like a sheet of paper with two eye holes cut out of it. Uh, they might as well have used googly eyes. I don't know if googly eyes existed, but they might as well have just put two googly eyes on each of these mothers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that would have been less horrifying than the other one. So, so th this one just looks like, yeah, it doesn't, it looks barely like anything. Um Again, it's just some. So that's some, mother yeah, number some one. Chicken wire, a wire mesh with, with with a bottle and this thing that I guess could represent a head in some weird universe. Um, the other one is really sneaking up on the uncanny. Like it, it, it's <laughs> it is also basically a cylinder, but it's covered with some kind of fur. I can tell it's a black and white picture, but it seems to be covered in some kind of furry cloth. On top is a circular head with these eyes that end up penetrating into your soul and there are two ears <laughs> stuck to the side of it and a face that again is very simplistic but really really is like evocative of a face that is looking directly into you through you beyond yes. you it can see your sin it wants your sin it thrives on your sin <laughs> this thing is utterly horrifying to look at and there's a baby monkey who is hanging on to that terror goblin and then reaching across to drink a bottle from the other kind of wire frame from the wire method right so this is the most famous picture yeah. and this is the finding of the study um i'll read the description that harlow gave of the mothers first it's probably unnecessary given the description that you just gave <laughs> that was much better but Harlow said, quote, we produced a perfectly proportioned, streamlined body, stripped of unnecessary bulges and appendices. <laughs> Redundancies in the surrogate mother system was avoided by reducing the number of breasts from two to one and placing this unibreast in an upper thoracic sagittal position. Okay. So... He's, again, like being flirty and cheeky with the audience yes. of like, ha, 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 redundancy was reduced. We now have a unibreast. <laughs> like, okay, that's, that's great, bro. Like, tell us more about unibreast, please. <laughs> but he has a wire mother, a mother with no terry cloth, and he has a terry cloth mother. 
if he was doing this experiment perfectly, both mothers would have the same face, right? right. The wire mother has just two eye dots, mm-hmm. and it's like a square head. Yeah. I've never seen a monkey with a square, no. like a truly square no. head. Yeah. And then the cloth mother has the two eyes, the nose, the mouth, the ears, the eyebrow. Like it looks more like a monkey. Yeah, yeah. Than the wire mother. Right. Um, and uh, the variable of this experiment was where the milk came from, mm. where the food came from for these babies. So for uh, there were six groups, which sounds like a lot. There were groups that had only access to the cloth mother who had food. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two is groups that had only access to the wire mother who had food. And then the actual experiment was groups that had a wire mother and a cloth mother, and the food was in the cloth mother. Mm-hmm. And then the next group was wire mother and cloth mother, but the food was in the wire mother. Right. So actually four groups, not six groups. I messed that up. Only four groups. Yeah. Wire only, cloth only, or they have both mothers and the food's in the wire mother, or they have both mothers and the food is in the cloth. Got it, got it, yeah. And the monkeys were hand-fed at first to just make sure that they survived, and then once they um, were weaned, basically within a few days of birth, Mm -hmm. the only source of food, the only source of interaction, the only source of anything they had was these two mothers. And the study ran for almost half a year. It ran for days and days and days and days, uh, up to 165 days for just this first phase. And they did a whole bunch of tests. But basically the monkeys were spending 24 hours a day in these tiny little boxes. And the only thing in the boxes was the mother situation, the mother setup. And what they found, the data that they found was truly remarkable and like probably... This is the ground-shaking revolutionary part, Mm -hmm. right? Is it didn't matter if the food was on the wire mother or the food was on the cloth mother. Both of those groups of monkeys spent 18 hours a day on the cloth mother, physically touching and attached to the cloth mother, and zero to two hours a day on the wire mother. Again, irregardless of where the food was, both groups had the same behavior. And I have the graph here so you can see for yourself. There's no error bars on the graph. There's no statistics on the graph. There's no like, (laughs) (laughs) this is not a modern graph. It's 1958. They probably hand drew this graph, right? right? (laughs) Um, But this is their data. They have data. And it's hours per day. And both spent 18 hours a day physically touching the cloth mother. Okay. That's huge. Yeah, right. So this is the love component. This is what Harlow says that love is, is love is the physical contact or the seeking of contact between the baby and the mother, the mother figure, the plush mother. Can we imagine all of the um, curmudgeonly uh, members of the APA going, well, I never... Yeah, maybe several of them leaving, walking out of. Oh my God! Have you ever angry stormed out of a conference? I've angry stormed out of a conference one time, exactly. You did? Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. That's awesome. No, I haven't done it yet. Um, you better someday. I mean, I look. I tend to be sort of discerning. I only go to the panels I think I'm going to like anyway. So. 
you know. No, no, no. You got to pick a panel that the title is just absolutely atrocious. Okay. Show up, sit near the front. Sit you have to, front. if you want to have an impact, you have to sit near the front. Wait for the important data slide yeah. and go, <laughs> and exit. There's no drug in the world. There's no thrill in the world. It's the best thing that you can do ever. I, I, it's so good. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't even considered that before, but now, I, okay, I'm in. Next conference, I, I, I'm doing it. Please report back with your, with your findings and with your data I'll, I'll, of your joy, your total yeah, joy that you experienced. I'll, I'll give you a, a, a chart as good or better than Harlow's. No error bars and drawn. No error bars, right. <laughs> it's an N of one. If you only storm out of one, it's an N of one. So you shouldn't have error That's bars. Fair. That's but fair. Yeah. yeah. So big finding, big data, American Psychiatric Association. And Harlow said that this finding, that these data indicate that the function of nursing, the reason that mothers nurse their children is in order to facilitate contact between the mother and child. Oh, okay. That nursing came about because it makes mothers hold on to their children, it makes mothers hold their children, it makes children close to their mothers. Oh. That it's the reverse of what everyone's been saying. It's not that the function of nursing is for food. Right. Harlow says the function of nursing is for contact. Right. And food can be there, it doesn't matter, food doesn't have to be there. Wow. But basically, it's just a way to get mothers to touch their babies, oh, okay. to touch their children and hold their children yeah. and have contact to their children. And he follows up that very, maybe brilliant, maybe insightful, maybe revolutionary yeah. statement with this statement, okay. <laughs> which is bonkers. So please tell me what it means. I've been thinking about this. I have no idea what it means. He said, quote, a charming lady once heard me describe these experiments and when I subsequently talked to her, her face brightened with sudden insight. Now I know what's wrong with me. I'm just a wire mother. Perhaps she was lucky. She might have been a wire wife. Wh what wh the fuck what? does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have no wait, idea what that wait, what? means. <laughs> I so I think this woman is talking to Harlow and saying, I didn't do a good job raising my right, children. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the first part. Yeah. That she couldn't provide contact comfort to her right. children. Oh, and so he's he saying like she doesn't have any physical contact with her husband either? Right, but like she's not trying to raise her husband. Yeah, this is... Right? It's, it, it's, it's like he maybe doesn't understand his own data or has intentionally <laughs> misunderstood them in order fully, to make no, the joke. Fully. Yes, and that's why I keep going back and forth of like, does he know what he did? Does he know what this is? Does he know what he's saying? Yeah, I think he is a guy who has decided he is going to say an inaccurate statement that goes against the data he has just presented in order to just be flirty, just be right. funny, wild and crazy and loose at the APA. It's also possible, this is the thing that happens. People will say something that like has the form of a joke and then people will laugh at it. And like, <laughs> I think that's probably what's happening here is just like... They're just conditioned to laugh. Yeah. They've been conditioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this, this is yeah. some operant conditioning he's, he's working on here. It's just Because yeah, this has the form of a joke. You know you're supposed to laugh after this. But what? <laughs> Yeah, there absolutely has to be a feminist punk band named The Wire Wife, oh, like women who have no interest in providing is, contact comfort to men, raising amazing. men. Yes. Yeah, mothering men. Yes. If this 
please, if you play yes. an instrument, please start this start, punk start band, the wire wires. and I will listen to your music. Yeah, the wire waves, the wire waves, yeah. so good. That's the best. And now we get to the weird, the weird stuff. <laughs> That's the normal stuff. <laughs> that, that was pretty normal. I mean, it was it was impressive. It was cool. It, it was very cool, and it was very straightforward. Yeah. It's that classic move of going. You thought this caused that, but what if it was the other way around? The like, th- there's a real theoretical elegance to that. Like, aside from the weird jokes, and I don't know, flirting with the APA isn't inherently bad. I think that's fine. The joke, <laughs> the, the joke was, you know, I no. So phase two. Is fear testing. Okay, here's... Testing for fear. Okay, here's where it comes. All right. <laughs> this is where it gets, like, ridiculous, like, beyond the pale ridiculous. Oh, no. Okay. I don't know if he was using popular children's toys, but in the paper itself, he shows a picture of one of those bears that has a drum, and then you activate the oh, yeah. bear, and it moves, like, an automaton, yes. and it beats yeah, the drum. Yeah. And then in the interview he gave to CV. BS. In 1959, the special is titled Mother Love. He gave an interview to CBS where he also showed them a different fear stimulus. So the fear stimulus was just a, basically a children's toy that moves around and has flashing lights and makes noises. Like a wacky inflatable arm wavy (laughs) tube guy. Like everyone in the world is afraid of wacky inflatable arm wavy tube guys. I don't know that those were around in the 50s, so they used... 1950s children's toys instead. And it's so funny because he shows the CB, the man who's interviewing him for the CBS special, he shows this man one of the toys and the toys is like a genuine monster <laughs> toy, like with big gnashing teeth and oh, light yeah. bulb eyes that oh, flash on that's, and off. That's- and the man says, that looks diabolical. <laughs> And it does look diabolical. It's absolutely diabolical. It's like a fear stimulus. It's supposed to look diabolical. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. Um, But what they did, the second phase of the study, was they exposed the orphan monkeys who had wire mothers, so not actually orphans at Mm -hmm. all, who had either wire mothers or cloth mothers Mm -hmm. to the fear stimulus, Mm -hmm. and then they observed how the monkey responded to... The wacky inflatable (laughs) Okay, yeah. So either the toy bear or the monster robot or any of those things, they rolled basically a cart up to the monkey's home cage, Uh and then they lifted a door in between the home cage and the fear Mm, stimulus, and the monkeys would scream and run, and obviously the monkeys that had a cloth mother would immediately run to the cloth mother and hold on to her. The monkeys fed on the wire mother immediately ran again to the cloth mother. Like all the monkeys ran to the cloth mother. Um, And if the cloth mother was present, they would run to the cloth mother. They would garner courage from her. And then sometimes they would try to attack the fear stimulus or they would try to scream at and scare the fear stimulus where they're like, get out of here, this is my house, you don't belong okay. here. But if no mother was present, then the monkeys would clutch themselves and rock back and forth and cry and oh be no. very, very sad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, monkey. Can you give us a good, oh. Oh. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly the correct response. That's they the would, one, yeah. Yeah, they would cry, they would be very sad, they would have nowhere to garner their courage from. Right. So they would not confront 
the fear stimulus. They would only be afraid of the fear stimulus. And that's and that's if they only had a wider mother. Around? That's if there was no mother present oh, in the box. Okay. If the cloth mother was ever present, Great. they would run to the cloth mother, even if they weren't fed, fed by on it. the cloth mother. Great. Okay. So that's the fear stimulus. The next one gets a little bit weird. <laughs> I feel like I just am saying that over and over again. This is all a little bit weird. But there's a guy named Robert Butler at the Wisconsin Laboratory, and he noticed, again, was just observing behaviors as he was doing tests with monkeys. The monkeys would figure out how to open windows. So if they would oh. like have a window to put things in the monkey's cage, the monkeys uh. would manipulate things to be able to open the window just so they could look outside. Okay. So they had this curiosity. Sure. So in addition to fear and pain and sex, those very, very base drives right. that are ascribed to humans and to monkeys, Right. Harlow added love. Mm-hmm. And then Butler, working in the same laboratory who Harlow worked with for these tests, added curiosity, just the curiosity oh. of wanting to gain information or okay. manipulate things or explore things. Good, yeah. So they did a love test through a window. And oh. uh, again, being a cheeky, flirty man, Harlow <laughs> described this as a love machine, an apparatus designed to measure love. <laughs> okay. I can think of some upsetting ways that could go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is this in Vegas or is this in like a, a, <laughs> a laboratory in Wisconsin, a monkey laboratory in Wisconsin? Yes. <laughs> so so what, what does this love machine that you access through a covert window do? So the love machine, to my understanding, is just a window. And they put things on the other side of the window, and then they measured how much the monkey sought to open the window, how frequently the monkey would open the window, how much time the monkey would spend looking through the window. But Uh. the machine, there was no like machinery. It was just a window that the monkey could look through if they wanted to. So for um, the original studies by Butler... He um, used a train on train tracks. So someone at the University of Wisconsin was a train nerd and had a model train. (laughs) And the monkeys, um, there was one study that Butler ran where he would close the window every time the monkey opened the window just to see how long the monkeys would keep opening the window. Yeah. And he said one study went for genuinely 19 hours and wow. only ended because the experimenter got tired and couldn't keep closing <laughs> the window anymore. <laughs> okay. If, if, if you're operationalizing curiosity as wanting to observe a stimulus, I would call that a pretty strong drive to curiosity. This is love, though. So, so, how, love. Does, so how does that go to love? If you were designing this to be able to measure love, what would you put on the other side of the window? Oh, so we're putting the mom on the other side of the window instead of a train? We're putting it, yeah, we're putting the mom instead of a train. That is exactly right. I so they see. would do... The cloth mother on the other side of the window, they would do the wire mother or an empty field. And they would measure how much the monkey wanted to look at the cloth mother or the wire mother or an empty field. Okay. And you can see we have even more data where um, even after the monkeys were separated from their mothers. So this love machine testing started 
after the monkeys no longer had the mother in the home cage. Okay. So then they were testing to see how much do the monkeys remember the mother? How much do they care about looking at the mother? How much attachment do they have to the mother? Yeah. And in every condition, no matter which mother fed the monkey, right. they always wanted to look at the cloth mother more than the wire mother or a blank field. And the wire mother and a blank field, just nothing in the field of view, yeah. had the same amount of lever presses to look yeah. each time. So the yeah. this is interpreted as there's no love yeah. of the monkeys towards the wire mother, but there is love, there is drive to see and to view the cloth mother at all times, no matter who fed them. Okay. All right. Yeah. I wonder how much this data would be different if the wire mothers had the same faces right. as the cloth mother. Right, yeah, that that face difference is becoming more important. Mm-hmm. And then as a variation on this test, Harlow also ran a group of monkeys that had no mothers, that just had like the pads oh, on yeah. the floor and didn't okay. have exposure previously to oh. the wire mothers or the cloth mothers. yeah. And it was kind of like uh, inverse at first, where at first those monkeys were very afraid of the cloth mother and didn't want to look at her. And then they started wanting to look at her more and more and more and more, even if she hadn't fed them, even if they had no mother previously. So this is interpreted as a critical window or a critical period where even if a baby is orphaned, Mm. if you introduce a mother at a later point in life... There might be difficulty forming the attachment at first, I see. but the attachment might be able to form in the long run. Interesting. Okay. So that is what they called retention testing, where they ran that window assay for six months after they removed the mothers from the home cage. Right. And then the last test was um, an open field test. Are you familiar with open field testing and the concepts behind it? Doesn't sound familiar. So open field tests are a form of fear testing where you have a field that doesn't have a lot of security and almost all animals don't want to be in the center of a room like that. Uh, They'll go to the edges or they'll try to hide underneath something. They won't go out and explore. And it's seen as a measure of anxiety or um, depression or um, fear. Or how much time they'll actually spend out in the open part of Mm. the open field versus hiding, clutching against the walls, that sort of thing. So Harlow devised an open field test where they had a room that they put the baby monkeys in. And sometimes the room had the cloth mother in it. And sometimes the room only had other objects and no cloth mother. Mm -hmm. And if the room had a cloth mother the monkeys would first directly run to the cloth mother and sort of gain their emotional courage from the cloth mother. And then they would feel confident to go out and explore. But if the room didn't have a cloth mother, the monkeys would do the same clutching and crying and Mm. um, rocking and self-soothing behaviors. Okay. This seems like a competently put together experiment. Um, Yes. (laughs) The cruelty to the adorable baby monkeys is 
not great, but it's significantly it seems it seems significantly less abusive than <laughs> again, certainly less than Watson and Right. This becomes a sort of um hot debate or hot right. topic of if you are providing what are seen as the basic needs, if you're providing food, shelter, water, security, then what is your responsibility beyond that? And Harlow Ooh. has some really callous quotes where he oh, no. says things like, I never cared about the monkeys. I just wanted the data. How could anyone like monkeys? No. I don't even like animals. Like really like very provocative things. And that's a theme through all of his writing and all of his speech is to just sort of be as provocative as possible. I see. Yeah, because the other possibility here would be that what he's establishing is that when you are taking care of animals in your laboratory, you actually have more responsibilities than just right. food. And it, like you do need to provide them with some kind of care. Exactly. If this study was done by someone else besides Harlow, yeah. that would have been like the takeaway that you present right. at the American Psychological Association right. is if you want your research monkeys to yeah. be healthy, established, happy, husky monkeys, you have to make sure that they have contact comfort, that they have mothering, that they have things besides food and water. Right. And even if you, even if you are, even if you are somewhat callous, like th there's a level on which that ought to be your ethical um, obligation. Yet, even if you are sort of callous, it seems like that would just be good practice. Then, pragmatically, if you mm -hmm. want, if you want these monkeys to represent anything like a typical animal, you need to provide them more than food and water and shelter. You know, right. how how good are they going to be as analogs for? humans or, or even analogs for other monkeys if they're not given this other basic these other basic things love and you know things like that so. right and um what was definitely missing from his address to the american psychological association was any discussion of normal behavior of rhesus macaques right like how social are they how much time do typical mothers spend right. touching their typical babies in the right. wild, right. in the zoo, in a different laboratory yeah. where mothers are not separated from their babies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, as part of this, what Harlow was interested in was modeling of psychological disturbances. So after these studies, Harlow himself had depression and at one point was checked into an inpatient um, depression treatment oh, okay. facility. But also he used more and more egregious methods in order to attempt to model human psychiatric disorders like panic disorders, autism, depression, oh, okay. that sort of thing. And we can do a part two where we talk about that. It would be a okay. lot to talk about this time, but the yes. famous title that he gave his apparatus was The Pit of Despair. <laughs> if you want to do a fun Google, just Google Harlow Pit of Despair. And you'll see what oh he got God. up to after this. Oh, okay. He, One he, of his, he has a flair for titles. He is a dramatic man. He was <laughs> born to either be a theater major, right? Yeah. yeah. Or a head of the American Psychological Association. <laughs> and he just happened to be head of the American Psychological Association in any different timeline, this man was like on Broadway doing a one-man show <laughs> about about motherhood. I imagine about mothering. Yes, y yeah, he's yeah. like David Sedaris, like just <laughs> continuously harping on mothering and motherhood. <laughs> 
like 100%. Dr. Harlow, the David Sedaris of 1958 (laughs) psychology. (laughs) Let's text David Sedaris and see how he feels about that comparison. Yeah, so um, because I have the anthology of his 56 most important citations that he picked 56 of the most important right like i don't even have 56 citations he his his best (laughs) of album is 56 tracks that's yes and he felt constrained by that he felt like there should have been more that is Um, so so i I guess the the natural question then is are all 56 like bangers or So I haven't read 100% of them, right? Um, but uh, I flipped through the lesion studies, but we weren't covering any lesion studies, um, okay. so yeah. I didn't go read those in depth. Right. I read, obviously, The Nature of Love. I read mm-hmm. the ones before and after that because it very much becomes variations on a theme. This I must see. have been an absolute, like, what do the kids say? They say banger. I think so. I yeah. think so. I don't know. <laughs> I'll ask my students. As Certainly, the Gen Zs say this is a banger. <laughs> this was a bop. Say. Ooh, a bop. do they say that? I, I hope they say that still. They say it's a bop. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. They say this is based. Um, <laughs> where just like study after study after study, I was confused a little bit at first before I read the intro because I was like, why does this one study go on for one hundred pages? Right. Like, what is going on here? Right. But they had so many monkeys in this laboratory, so many monkeys separated from their mothers. I think it was 160 at the time of this address. Oh, wow. um, That they just did variation after variation after variation. So they did variations of temperature. They had cold mothers and warm mothers. Oh, okay. They did variations of the angle of the mother to see how much like physical support the mother had to provide in order for it to be comforting, in order for her to be comforting. Okay. They did a streamlined mother that looks effectively like a corn dog that was hanging from the ceiling and she would swing around and they looked to see if that was comforting. They did variations on material. So Uh there was vinyl mothers, sandpaper mothers, Uh. wire mothers, cloth mothers, like any material that just happened to be laying around at the University of Wisconsin. Right, right. They put on a mother um, <laughs> and uh, just like publication after publication on all of these variations. And then it gets much more sad and it gets into total isolation experiments where oh, there were no. some monkeys that were totally 100% physically isolated for two years, like from birth until Whoa. they were two years old, like bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Yes. That, that, that cannot have turned out well. Um, it's really bizarre because all of those papers start with the sentence, normal, normal heterosexual upbringing. So okay. I don't, I haven't read um, Harlow directly talking about the fear of isolation in babies being connected to homosexuality or like panic disorders oh. being connected to homosexuality. Oh. But multiple times throughout his papers, he mentions heterosexuality like normal oh, behavior is heterosexual therefore aberrant behavior is what i don't i'm just right. not gonna say it. i'm gonna wave my arms about that weird okay all right i mean 
maybe not weird, you know, for, for 1950s. Psych- right, psychological studies of the 1950s. It's probably yeah, not exactly. weird, but so, so yeah, homosexuality was a DSM. Mm-hmm. disorder right like fully right. clinically diagnosable disorder so not weird but like right very dated and of the time right right incorrect so, right but it, and something you would expect probably someone who's doing just endless variations to eventually get to studying if he's studying all kinds of other quote-unquote disorders or or modeling other sorts mm-hmm. of uh things that would be diagnosed in a human i suppose you would get to homosexuality eventually so, yeah, and he um, you've got three hundred studies, <laughs> three hundred and twenty. <laughs> don't forget those last twenty. He um, showed a lot of mating behavior as like this is normal mating behavior when oh, okay. we put these isolated monkeys together. Is this normal? Um, but I don't know that he directly studied right homosexuality in monkeys. Right. I don't know. Studying the mating behavior, I, I presume, is then an outgrowth of those basic drives that that he's still he's expanding a bit upon, but would still be relevant to any study he did. Yeah. yeah. Yes. There was one funny bit about faces at the very end. So okay. all up until this point, um, we had those faces that you described with the soulless eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And the the. Uh, two dots for eyes, that sort of thing. Yes. He described a situation towards the beginning of their testing where they raised a monkey with no face. Oh. The mother didn't have a face yet. Right. Before they started realizing, oh, we should add a face, and then they added a face. But then later for that monkey that started with a mother with no face, they then gave the monkey a mother with a face. Yeah. And the monkey kept turning the face around. Oh. So that... There was no face again because it was like obviously mothers don't have faces. Right? Yes, (laughs) this mother is broken. So like, (laughs) this mother has strange outgrowings on her head. I wonder what that could. We'll just turn that around. We'll deal with that later. (laughs) We'll deal with it later. (laughs) That's a problem for tomorrow, monkey. (laughs) (laughs) They described that same situation where they tried turning the face to face the baby monkey. So many times, and every time it didn't matter, n plus one times, yes. the monkey would turn <laughs> the face back. Um, Evidently, another thing we've learned then is that baby rhesus monkeys are very stubborn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, very stubborn and very smart and very uh, loving of their mothers. Yeah. Um, one thing I noted throughout this whole article was there was no mention of father-child relationships or right. what role the father played in any of this. Right. Um, and I wondered if in having the wire mother that provided milk and then also the cloth mother present at the same time, yeah. if you're looking at that in the most literal right. heterosexual sense, yeah. you have a cold mother yes. and a warm father. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That would, yeah, it is interesting. Right. They, they, they're coming in with the presumption that nurturing care is a maternal sort of thing. Also, I suppose, mm-hmm. presuming that monkeys have a strict, like, you know, <laughs> binary understanding mm-hmm. of, of parenting relations, which goes back to your question of how do these monkeys behave outside of a laboratory situation? Do they have... I would pay so much money for the pay-per-view conversation between Jane Goodall and Harry Harlow. And she's like, what the fuck was this? What were you doing? What the- What's going on? That's not a monkey. 
<laughs> but yeah, it made me wonder. So they, yeah, Harlow yeah. consistently can, refers to the two mothers, which right. is a homosexual parenting, right? Right, right. Like you have yeah. two mothers in oh, one cage. Right, yeah. And the child has access to two mothers. That's two mothers. It's that, two mothers. That is interesting, yeah. And there's no discussion of that whatsoever. In all of the reading I did, both the primary literature from Harlow and all of the discussion of it, in pop site articles, right. all of the pop site oh, articles focus on love, and this is love. Oh, that's fascinating. And I'm like, does Harry Harlow think this is a homosexual relationship, a heterosexual yeah. relationship? Why is he saying two mothers, but he's talking about heterosexuality? There's two mothers. There's two mothers. It's I, two mothers. I'm. I'm. This must be something that is in in like the field of like feminist STS. This. Is all I? I would be shocked me. if no I am one the has field. talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> I am the totality of the field. No one else has mentioned that Harlow I, had two mothers. I that would, this was a homosexual setup I would be, where I there would were be two mothers. Astounded if yeah, because this sounds like the sort of absolutely the sort of thing that yeah, like kind of feminist STS would be would would be into or, or would have made an observation. If not, uh, hey, you, you, do you want a publication? How do outside I get a paper? Field? I want a paper. Yeah. How do I get this? paper Let's the do totality this. of my paper is will harry harlow rise from the dead and tell me was were these two mothers in a homosexual relationship I, yeah. or was he actually studying a warm mother with a cold father yeah. and a yeah. cold mother with a warm father i, I like, now that you bring that up i want to i want to know nothing more we than want that. answers that, this is we actually all i care about answers. now that's all i care about <laughs> that question is now my terry cloth covered mother I will you will open cling the window. to this question yes i will open the window to look at it for up to 19 hours regardless of what the researchers do that's that's amazing so th yeah that that's my main question i love that yeah and because harry harlow is harry harlow yes he leaves us with this beautiful beautiful speculation this beautiful quote that he's telling to an auditorium filled with psychologists, right. right? So he's talking about the practical applications of this study at the very end of the study. And he says, quote, the socioeconomic demands of the present and the threatened socioeconomic demands of the future have led the American woman to displace or threaten to displace the American man in science and industry. It is cheering in view of this trend, to realize that the American male is physically endowed with all the really essential equipment to compete with the American female on equal terms in one essential activity, the rearing of infants. And he goes on to speculate oh. that neonatal nursing, that a mother physically nursing their own child will become a luxury of conspicuous consumption oh. limited to the upper classes that we're going to have basically terry cloth mothers actually feeding our babies. Right. And that only rich people will be able to afford the time to physically feed their own babies. Which is depressingly true. We, right, right, yeah, no, right. It, it's spot on. Um, that isn't the conclusion I would have drawn from what you read, though. It seemed like the other conclusion you could draw was there's no reason that fathers don't nurture their children. They should, they would be just as effective at it because the thing that makes milk has nothing to do with it. So you, you can, right, you can be a contact. person, right. You can be a person who gives contact without, without nourishing with your body and mm -hmm. that's fine. 
So, like, again, the conclusion I would have drawn would have been, great, so any parent so can, can nurture. Any equal, parent can nurture. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, so but, but his conclusion is not that. <laughs> no, no. Um, he's talking about competition and American women replacing right. American men, yeah. which to me says that he believes that American men belong in science and industry right. and American women are upstarts who want right. to kick him out of science and industry, right. which it, is hilarious. And, and again, his, his research seems to demonstrate that there's no reason that can't happen. It would have no negative impact on the raising of children, which on it, the raising of children, which, yes. which is a you know is still a common argument, right? If well, if the mom isn't at home, then like the kids will become A, B, C, whatever you know mm-hmm. pathology we want to assign to bad mothering <laughs> in the current era. His research seems to demonstrate, nah, it doesn't matter. Just it, so, someone to care for the child is all that needs to happen. Someone to physically contact the child, someone to yeah. hold the child, right. someone to provide the child with courage to go out and explore in right. the world is all that's needed. Which is his operationalization of love, yeah. Yeah. He makes it a point to repeat to like the interviewer, to the um, his presentation throughout his writing that he's quantified love, right. that he's yeah. been able to directly assess love. Right. And I think can't tell how much of that is genuine and how much of that is him just poking at people right. and trying to get people to come at him and say, well, you haven't quantified love. Right. That's not yes. the quantification yes. of love. Yes. But part of his verbal interview with the television host okay. <laughs> is the host questioning him about what love is oh, okay. and Harlow saying, what is love if not cur- like wanting to physically be near the mother and wanting to contact the mother and wanting to seek the mother for comfort? Is that sure. not love? Sure. Are you telling me that's not love? <laughs> I, right. And on some level, I'm sure. I mean, I have seen worse operationalizations of love. Um, <laughs> many worse. I, I don't know that that's... I don't know that it's wrong, but... Um, I think, to me, the big question is how genuine is he? Like, right, how much right. of him is being a provoc- provocateur versus he actually believes what he's saying? Yeah, you know, that that, that is a fair point. It, it, and from, from what you've shown me, that either one seems equally likely, that he was just waiting mm-hmm. for someone to, 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 to challenge him on it. Yeah, I think so. I think it's both, right? I think he yeah. actually believed... That he was like a revolutionary who could quantify love for the first time. And also (laughs) he was saying that in formatting that in such ways so that people would be angry at him and fight with him. Because I think he wanted to fight. He's here to fight. I I am getting a lot of that energy from him. It's... (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready for my definitely legitimate pop culture reference of the day. <laughs> I, I, I am. I am ready for your definitely legitimate pop culture reference, which I now don't question at all because you've set it up as totally legitimate. So, <laughs> yeah. Can you make a little theme song? Definitely legitimate pop culture reference of the day. <laughs> yeah. I, I, will, I will and I will sample you singing that. <laughs> <laughs> Our last definitely legitimate pop culture reference of the day was. <laughs> um, oh, that that was uh, Hannibal, right? The, or the no, it was not Hannibal. It was Hannibal Two, which is different from Hannibal. No, yeah, 
It was Silence of the Lambs 2, which is that just named Hannibal? It was, yeah, it was Silence of the Lambs 2, the rehannibling. <laughs> Was what it was called. Yeah. This time it's Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, because I have no modern references, it's a running theme. I can't stand anything that's happened within the last twenty years. It has to be more than twenty years old. <laughs> At least. Our definitely legitimate pop culture reference of the day comes from nineteen eighty nine. What can you think of that happened in nineteen eighty nine? Like t- around the Seattle area. Oh sure. Like Seattle, Portland. Sure. Oh okay. All right. Well, there was certainly there must have been a grunge band called Harlow's Monkeys. <gasps> um, <laughs> if only. I, in, in fact, the Wire Wife's should have been a Riot Girl band. They should have been a nineteen eighty nine grunge band. Yeah. One million percent. Yeah. That that is that is that is Riot Girl as heck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have. Bleach, the debut album by Nirvana. Oh, right. That was written by a wire monkey. No. No, it was written by a, a window. Oh, okay. A yes. window that could yes. go up and down. No, that makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense. Okay. So in Bleach, yes. the debut album by Nirvana, yes. released in 1989, yes. there's a song called Paper Cuts. I was just I was listening, listening to Paper Cuts earlier today. You were not. I was listening I was. to Paper Cuts earlier today. I was absolutely, but I didn't. I didn't know it was relevant. It's extremely relevant. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't bring it up at the beginning of the episode <laughs> and say, "Christina, is this episode referenced in Paper Cuts?" It is. It absolutely is. So here are the lyrics for Paper Cuts, and you can do your dissertation of how obviously relevant this is to Harlow. <laughs> Kurt Cobain says, At my feeding time, she'd push food through the door. I'd crawl towards the crack of light. Sometimes I can't find my way. Newspapers spread around, soaking all they can. A cleaning is due again, a good hosing down. The lady whom I feel maternal for cannot look me in the eyes. Probably because her eyes are fucking marbles, dude. Right. But I see hers and they are blue. And then he goes on to talk about masturbation because he's Kurt Cobain. <laughs> so, Martin, give us your best analysis yeah, of I, how Kurt Cobain read Harry Harlow. No, that, that, I believe it. Yeah. Kurt Cobain feels himself in this cage uh, without the, uh, the, the, the comfort Without of the a terry cloth covered mother. Uh, clear, right. you know, yeah, the food is just kind of pushed under the door. In fact, this might be one of our isolation monkeys. One of yes. the ones without even a, 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 a wire mom. Yeah. Kurt Cobain absolutely attended his psychology classes. We know he was a great student who attended class. I, I believe that and is he read... undeniably true. <laughs> he read The Study of Harry Harlow. Yeah. And he said, oh, wouldn't it be good if I wrote a song from the monkey's perspective? A monkey with an inadequate mother. Yeah. I'm... And that's where we got Bleach. That's why we have the grunge movement, because of Harry <laughs> yeah. Harlow. Harry Harlow created grunge. Yeah. Harry Harlow created grunge. I, I 100% support that assertion. It's a fact. It's- I don't know why you are supporting <laughs> facts. I don't know why you're pretending that you need to like say, that fact is true. Like It's just true. That's just what it is. It, it is, it is a fact. It is used as support for other things. So yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, that was it. That was our 100%. legitimate pop culture reference of the day. I think that's all I've got. What else is there? So as you were talking, I remembered more and more of my encounter with 
with um, Ooh, Harlow's work. And, well, it, it's nothing specific. It's more just remembering being 19 at college, being sort of depressed and lonely, um, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, kind of my, my, my state in general, but even more so, obviously, at 19. Um, that it's a great time to be emo. And so I remember <laughs> seeing like these pictures and it just being like, you know, a combination of as, as heartbreaking as, as it is now, but like also kind of, I don't know, deeply affecting going like, what am mm-hmm. I even doing? Like, this is, this is horrible. Um, mm. and yeah, I, I, I remember even I was in a very, very exceedingly pretentious, uh, band. We didn't call ourselves a band. We called ourselves an ensemble. Because we were exceedingly <laughs> pretentious. And we were all psychology students because <laughs> because it was college. And like, you know, everyone's a psychology student. And so, yeah, I, we, 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 we had this in our intro psychology class. And we were like, I think we might have used like pictures of like the mother clinging in like a flyer for a show. Um, oh, nice. We definitely like had references to it, but again, we were super pretentious, so our songs didn't have lyrics. So we we definitely oh were like quoting Harlow, but not verbally, because again, <laughs> very pretentious. But yeah, yeah, the, the, like these studies, and in particular, like the images were really formative of yeah. like young, depressed, you know, artist self. Um, oh, absolutely. The, the more you showed those pictures, I was like, oh, this, I, I, the, the, there's a feeling involved here. <laughs> I, do, I don't know if it's a good one. <laughs> the only picture that was presented to me, I heard of the study in developmental neuroscience. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, it was one slide. I remember what room I was in. I remember the professor. I remember oh, wow. the class. Yeah. Um, it was only one slide and it was presented with no context oh. whatsoever. It was just... Baby monkeys prefer cloth. Okay, next slide. <laughs> like, <laughs> so there was no discussion of what the experimental question was. There was no hypothesis. Right. There was no testing. There was none of the variations. Right. It was just, it doesn't matter. Um, and the picture that was shown for the slide, I believe, was this picture where the monkey is physically perched on the terry cloth mother and drinking from right. the wire mother. Right. And that was it. That was the totality of the experiment. Yeah. And I feel like it was such a disservice because this is developmental neuroscience. And the fundamental question that Harlow claims that he's asking right. is what are the base drives that drive infants? Yeah, yeah. And my right. professor didn't even go into that. <laughs> didn't of address like, that. Infants need food. Infants need uh Water, infants need yeah. protection. Yeah. Infants need contact comfort. I don't even remember the professor talking about infants needing contact comfort. It was just right. baby monkeys will stay on the terry cloth. Next slide, next development, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I get it because it was developmental neuroscience. It wasn't developmental psychology. Sure. So it was a different context. Sure. But if you're talking about the development of the brain, Yes. what happens to the brains of people and monkeys yes. and anybody who doesn't have the sort of contact comfort right. early in life. Yes. I mean, th- this, this fits in with, you know, what we're doing is this is a study that everyone has at least seen an image or two from. I never saw this image. Uh, as I had said, the ones I saw were much more harrowing. They were, they were just like this terrified baby monkey clinging to clinging to something and it was you know they were black and white and really just you know 
Yeah, it looks looks like an excerpt from like a 1920s horror film or something. Like, um, yeah, there's a lot of um, little clips and videos of the monkeys screaming and throwing themselves yeah. on the floor and doing that self rocking behavior. Yeah. Harlow would describe that as autistic behaviors. Oh. I don't know that it would still be described no, that in seems, that way. Yeah, but but as you were saying, he was he he thought he was modeling all sorts of um, pathologized behaviors. Right. And that would, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the self soothing, the um, fetal position, right. touching the ground, not making eye contact with anybody, that sort of Oof. thing. Um, so, over and over and over again, Harlow says, autistic behavior, autistic behavior. Ooh, I, I, I bet that did not help the whole discourse of autism being caused by bad mothers. Oh. I'm sure I'm, this was a root. I'm sure that a root study that yeah. could be pointed to. Oof. I mean, it, it, it persists to today. That that yeah. that you know nonsense claim persists to today. But um, I, I think there's more pushback to it, and I I remember it being the explanation at some points in, in poorly supported information given to me in in some early psychology classes. So. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell them to show you the papers. I, <laughs> go back in time. Go back to your psychology classes and say, "Where's your data? Show me your data." If, if only that was the worst thing I heard about autism as a psychology <laughs> student. If only I took a a practicum in using uh, ABA with autistic children, and the textbook we use is written by Ivar Lovas, who kind of pioneered ABA. Uh, and he, he was a guy who, who actually would do a lot of this stuff we're seeing here. He was a behaviorist. He was like, yeah, don't, uh, don't reinforce autistic behavior. You know, mm. um, you know le- I, I'm looking now, you, you're showing me this image of, a, of this baby monkey peering through a window at, at a picture of his mother looking again, quite dejected. And Lovas would do a lot of things like that with, with, with humans, like putting them in a room okay. and like, I'll give you no contact until you stop quote-unquote acting autistic so uh, oh my god yeah yeah he, he was a, he was a strong behaviorist um this was presented to me as like a as, as valuable research that teaches us good things about about how to oh treat people um I, I about halfway through that practicum i was like this doesn't feel right and uh i still got my one credit for it and so i was like certified to do aba uh therapy but was like <laughs> i don't feel good about this and never did yeah. it yeah, maybe maybe we'll have to read some Lovas at some point. <laughs> I, we certainly can. Yeah, I want to do a silly one for the next episode. Okay. I want to do Kiki and Booba because I'm really sad of looking at pictures of sad monkeys. I want to read the Kiki Booba study. I have no idea what that is. <gasps> I'm not going to say a single additional okay, word. Yeah. I just want you to be surprised by Kiki and Booba. Kiki, I, I, I that's this is one I've actually never heard of. So that's okay. That's exciting. Okay, for. Before, in between now and when we record again, yes. can you ask people, are you familiar with Kiki and Booba? And don't let them tell you what yes. it is. Just ask them if they're familiar. I will. Yes. Kiki Booba. Kiki Booba. Kiki and Booba. All right. I will see you next time. Awesome. Don't Google it. I won't Google, don't Google I won't. it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the antithesis of the podcast, though, that you have never heard of this and have no idea. It is. What this it is. is. But again, this is very exciting. Okay. Kiki Booba. Kiki Booba. Break.
Right. Um, I mean, at this point, look, we're not going to come up with a new name. So I'm in an emotional and physical <laughs> crisis because I was telling my friends um, how much I hated the first name. They did what to what. And she said, oh, that's my favorite name. I love that name. That name is so good. So, yeah, like I said, we're not, we're, we're not changing it. We're it's, not uh, changing it. Okay. I don't know, man. Do you want to come up with something better? 